The halachas I'd like to speak about today are the halachas of Arbaminim, but not the halachas which are normally learnt. Normally, when people get to looking at the halachas of Arbaminim, so the focus is on the halachas of the kashrus of the minim, what to look for in esrog, what makes a lul of kasha or mahuda, what makes a hadas possible. And therefore, what I want to focus on today is not the halachas of choosing the albuminium, but rather I want to talk about the halachas of using the albuminium, both as far as how to look after the albuminium, and once you found the muhuda set that you want to use for the whole circus to keep it muhuda, and the halachas which apply to taking and shaking the albuminium. Okay, so let's talk about the concept of how to best preserve to look after the aluminium first. There are a few interesting points over here. We know that the psal, which applies to a lot of, and most often is what we call nukta that the tip of the middle leaf of the lot of called the tiomis gets broken or gets split. Obviously, that's what we look for when choosing the love in the first place. If we want to make sure that our love stays muhuda, so the best uh, advice is to avoid uh, driving the tip of the love into the wall, or into the ceiling, or anything else. I saw it brought down, I'll pick a bottle that it's not right to do that. I'm not sure what the source in Kabbalah is for that. But for sure, I'll pee up shat. It's very partial, that's not a good thing to do. It tends to destroy the lulav. Even if a person wants to be vigorous now, he has to be careful uh, not to break his lulav in the process. And the other psalm which applies to lulav is the psalm of Yavesh, a lulav which is dried out. This was something which was practical in times of the Ramah, the other Akhrin with Northern Europe. Well, they speak about the fact that they didn't have a ready supply of lulavim, and therefore when they had a lulav which was brought to their city, they used to store it carefully and keep it and use it again year after year. And at the end of the day, a lulav is a branch of a tree, and given enough time, the lulav is going to dry out and become possible. But like I said, that's something which happens after a long amount of time. The lulavim we have, which we pressure this year, to get to the stage of Yevish, of being dry, and they're going to be possible is rare. It has to be dry enough that it loses its green color, becomes completely white. Or it gets so brittle that it's nifrach with sipari, which means you can crush it when you, with pressure applied by your nail. And like I said, that's something rare. Uh, and therefore we don't have too many cases of a little being Yevish. What does happen sometimes is that the tips of the leaves look white. Normally that's because they're exposed to the sun and they get burnt by the sun. And uh, obviously you already looked for this when you bought your love in the first place. Once you already have a good love, so the eight just is done even in direct sunlight, in the place where that might happen. And besides that, there isn't much else which you have to worry about, which is going to happen to your love uh, during the course of circus. When we come to the Hadassim, so after all the efforts and exertion, one went to, to find Kasha or Mahuda Hadassim, which is not easy to find. One of the main problems which can happen to Hadassim. 
so the halach is that for hadas to be mehuda, it needs to have the shilush, which means the circle of three leaves around the stem, covering the stem, and overlapping the base of the leaves on top of them, the whole way up the hadas, all 30 centimeters, which is the biggest shear of the three tfachim that a hadas is meant to be. Now, even if uh, one finds the mehuda hadas to begin sukkahs with, What's the way to ensure that the hadas remains in hood throughout circus? So what can go wrong with hadas? So there's two things. The one is that the leaves they also tend to dry out. When they dry out, they either fall off or become brittle and break. And therefore, the first thing you want to be careful with hadas is that the hadas doesn't dry out. And that happens in the heat. When it gets too hot, then the leaves dry up, and then they, like I said, either fall off or they break. And therefore, the best way to store hadas is to keep them cool. Uh, before circus, when the hadasim are still not attached, the rest are removed, they're on their own. The best idea is to keep them in the fridge, uh, not at the back of the fridge where they might freeze, and then it'll also cause them to break. But uh, in the front of the fridge, the door of the fridge, where they kept at a cool temperature and that keeps the leaves fresh. If one's already added the hadas to the bundle and is now tied to the root of a narovus. So, technically, one could put all three in the fridge together, depending, obviously, on the size of your fridge, if that's not possible. So, there are those people who take the lure out of the holder and just keep the hadasim in the fridge, which would be a good answer. If that's not going to work, then at least it should be kept in a cool place, because that's what maintains the freshness of the leaves of the hadas. The other issue when it comes to hadasim, is that they tend to lose leaves from three things. Either, again, if they someone holds the hadas by the branch itself too tightly, it snaps the leaves off. Or when one tries to push the hadasim into the lulav holder, the kojakal, so into its sleeve. So when one does that, as he pushes the the so to speak the stem of the hadas into the kojakal. So he's really pushing it and pulling the leaves off the hadas as he does that. Now, even though the, the, therefore the part of the hadas that you can see above the holder, it still looks green and has all its leaves there. But the part of the hadas which is inside the holder could have been stripped bare of its leaves. And if that's the case, it might not just be a problem of hidur, but it might actually be a possible hadas if it no longer has a share of three tvachim with leaves on it. And therefore, if that's the case, what's the best way? If a person wants to use the holder to put the adasim into the holder um, in a way which is not going to destroy the adasim in the process. So there's two possible answers which can help. And often I'm going to give you two pieces of advice what not to do, which is definitely going to ruin the adasim. The first answer is a simple answer, is make sure your adasim are long enough that there will still be the share of adas above the part which is going to the kosher. Now, if we said the share of hadas is 3 tvachim, the biggest share of 3 tvachim is 30 centimeters. So if my hadasim are, let's say, 35 or 40 centimeters, I can afford to push the bottom 5 or 10 centimeters into the holder, and I still have the full share of a kosher hadas above the holder, and I don't have to worry about uh, the leaves which got lost inside the holder. Normally, when they sell hadasim, at least the momohuda hadasim, they're already an extra few centimeters above the shear, and therefore I can afford to, so to speak, lose the leaves on the bottom few centimeters and still make sure I have a long enough 
a das above that. Obviously, that means that we're going to have to make sure that the lulav is a tefach above that. That seems like a bit of a longer lulav. <coughs> so make sure that it's the right proportion in height to compare to the way the hadasim ends. That's the first answer. The second answer is to invest more in buying a wider koshikul, a wider holder, because if the ones which are very narrow, it's very hard to squeeze the hadasim into it without them getting crushed. If I have a much wider holder, then there's more room for the hadasim, and then I can put them in, and it's not going to for sure tear off the leaves because there's space for them to fit inside with the leaves still attached. So that's the answer is what to do to protect my hadasim. What not to do, and it's funny because this is what people tend naturally to do, is when they're assembling the set of the lulav, the hadasim and the aravis, so most people naturally put the lulav in the middle first, and afterwards tries to try to squeeze the hadasim into its holder on the right. Now, the Mesa, if you think about it, that's not the logical way to do it. Because the lulav isn't going to, has more than enough space, it also doesn't have delicate leaves which are going to get broken if you push the lulav in afterwards. And by pushing the lulav in first, you're just minimizing the amount of space that you have in order to open the holder to put the hadasim in. And therefore the logical thing to do would be to put the hadasim in first, obviously try and stretch open or widen the, the area as much as possible, so there's more room for the dust to fit in. And that way, a person can put them in gently, gently, without forcing them in, is not likely to lose the leaves. The other point not to do, what some people do, is putting, put the dust in one at a time. When one does that, the first dust is in the holder, and then when one tries to push the second dust next to it, it's much for sure that it's going to break the leaves of the existing dust as it goes down. And therefore, the way to put the dust is to take all three together, and push them all in gently together, and that way none of them are being used, so to speak, to uh, as something which is pushing against the other one, and will take the leaves off in the process. If leaves do fall off inside the koshikal, so the person asks the question, did I now form a chatzitza? Because now I have dead leaves in between my hand and the hadas, and they're no longer part of the aluminium. And the person can say that since I don't want them there, and they're part of the men of the hadas. So they have no independent chashivas, they're considered bottle. And if that's the case, there's no there's no problem in being inside the holder. And that's only the problem of whether the extra, so to speak, detached leaves constitute the chatzitza. When it's coming to the question of is the hadas still kosher, we'll have to make sure there's still enough leaves in the hadas to make sure it's kosher. By the same token, people who the men are going to still talk about this, that they tie the hadas itself to the lulav above the koshikul. If that's the case, there also, the point where the hadas is tied to the lulav is the point where it's lucky that whatever he used to tie it with, let's say that like a ring made out of the lulav leaf, which he used to tie it with, is going to rub against the leaves of the hadas and could break those leaves if a person shakes them too vigorously. And if that's the case, the person has to be careful that he's tied them together in such a way that there's room for the leaves of the hadasim, so to speak, to to move without being uh, rubbed against the, the the ring which is used to tie them, which is going to basically break the leaves off. Similarly, if people want to uh, take apart the, the bundle of the lula of Hadassim and the Rovus, like we said before, people want, people want to keep the Hadassim in the fridge. So for some reason, people naturally do they pull the Hadassim out. 
and that just exacerbates the problem because that means every day they have to push the adasim back in, pull the adasim back out. It's much more likely they're going to run the adasim. If a person would want to do that, the way to do it is to pull the lulav out the middle and keep the adasim in the kosher where they are, and that way they're not going to be uh, exposed so to, speak, to more opportunities to become possible. And like I said previously, nothing's going to happen to the lulav if you pull in at its holder in the middle. When you come to the rovers, so the rovers, it's pretty much for sure, are going to need replacing some of the rovers surface. Even though there's not much which can pass past on the rover, as long as the rover has one healthy green leaf, it's a kosher rover. But sometimes even that's a lot to ask for. Rovers tend to die very quickly. And what the rover needs to keep alive, it's not for nothing they call the Arve Nachal, the rovers of the river, of the stream, the rovers need water. And if a person keeps the rovers in water, maybe they'll keep alive. If the rovers are too far away or too long, time away from water then they're going to die. That can either be in a case that the leaves fall off or the leaves dry out and break or sometimes it happens the leaves turn to rot. They like shrivel up and become black what's called commish and all these things are possible. So one has to make sure that the kosher leaves on the rubber and if there won't be kosher leaves in the rubber then we'll have to replace the arovas. Like I said you can't keep arovas for a long time. It's also why I advise people never to buy Arovas earlier than Arab Sukkot because they have a very short life and the earlier you buy them means the earlier they're going to die. I always say it's not for nothing that when Chazal describe one part of society as being like a little, like an Esrog, like Adas and like an Arava, so the Arava represents the people who have neither Torah or Mais and Tovim. And it seems like people that like that, who have no source of Schos, not Torah, not good deeds, tend to dry up and die very quickly. And the Ramor he brings, and that's why a person should replace the Aravas every day of Cholamoid, and that with the Hidra Mitzvah is the fresh Aravas. If one wants to keep the Aravas in water, so there's two options. Either he can submerge the entire uh, bundle of the Hadassim, Lulav, and the Aravas together in water, and uh, that way the Aravas will have more of a chance of living because they're still in the water. The only downside to that is that being, after being left in water for too long, the kosher called the holder, which is holding the lot of Aravas and Adasim together, tends to disintegrate. And uh, therefore, it might be good for the Aravas, but it's not always good for the Aravim as a whole. And the other option is to wrap it in a wet towel or something else like that, which could, could work as well. But just make sure that when it comes to unwrap or rewrap, the Aravim and is not going to come to Schitter. It's not that worth it, it's going to invariably squeeze out the towel when he moves it. Larach is a person allowed to return the Arumenim to water and Yamtif. But a person can't put them in water for the first time. Similarly, if a person has a wet towel, he can use it to rewrap the Arumenim. But to wet a towel in order to hold the Arumenim in, one can't do it. It's a of Libun, which means laundering on Yamtif, which is wetting clothing. What one could do and I could use the hand towel, which everyone dried their hands on, which is now considerably wetter than a dry towel would be. And since everyone's drying their hands, it wasn't an act of laundering. If anything, it's considered a maizelechloch, which means a way of dirtying the towel. Now that damp or semi-wet towel can be used to wrap around the aluminium. One more point which is important to know about the dasim and the rovas, and that is when we pass on that we need to have three adasim and two arovas. 
the Mishnah Bura Paskans that if a person used less than that, he's going to have to take the Ravrinim again. You know, as we hold up the Shittah, that the amount of Hadas and Aravas is a minimum, and it's Ma'akif. And if that's the case, a person should pay attention to this, because sometimes, especially those people who do more vigorous Nanuim, Hadas and Aravas tend to fall out. And uh, if he's not paying attention to it, he might not realize he's lost the Hadas or Aravas on the way, and now he's got a set of Aravas, which is no longer kosher. An interesting shayla we had this year, uh, not a common shayla. Someone took the Aravas out of the original bag on the first day of Sukkot, intending to put it into his sack. And even though it looked like two nice branches of Aravas, when he actually pulled it out in the plastic, he saw that the two branches were connected at the bottom. Like a V, something like a Y. And he came to ask me that even though each branch was long enough to have the shear of a kosher arava, but now they're connected or they're considered one arava or two aravas. And then the second question would be, if they're considered two aravas, a one arava, would it be more for to break them and yam to make them into two? So the first thing first, pashas, if they're still connected, they're still considered one, even though they have two separate branches coming from the same base. That's the first point. And as far as I had to break them in Yantif, we find a similar halakha regarding the Hadassim. And that is, the mission tells us that there were originally Hadassim which had berries attached. And if these berries are black or red, they're colored berries, so the Hadass doesn't look green like Hadass is meant to look. It's speckled with colored berries, then Hadass becomes parcel. But the mission says one can pull off the berries and Hadass goes back to being kosher, but one can't pull the berries off on Yantif, it's called Tukulmana, which means making something usable for a mitzvah which it wasn't usable for before. So when the hadas had berries, it was a possible hadas. And now that you've taken the berries off, it goes back to being a kosher hadas, and can't do that on Yom Tov. So I was thinking that the same thing would apply to this arava, that now that it's connected, it's only one arava. By breaking it, even though there's no issue here of, of cutting it or pruning it, because it's no longer a living thing, it's a detached branch, but by breaking it in part, it was now made into two kosher aravas, so there would be a problem of two minor. It's not exactly the same, the Rondon could argue with me, and they could say that over there the hadas with berries is not a hadas at all, it's possible. Whereas here it's a kosher arava, just will count as one, that is two. But if halach is, if we require two, and we only have one, so by breaking into two, we've made it into something which would be kosher the aluminium, and therefore it would be preferable not to, not to, have, or not preferable, it would be asked to break it apart on Yom Tov, and it would be preferable to use somebody else's aluminium to make the bracha. Um, it was a lesson for me because I know that one has to become prepared to show on circus with an extra lulav, extra esrog, extra dasim because shayas come up. Even this year, where Chinese people drop this regum in the pigeon's brock, and now that's what we're going to see, it's a possible esrog. So one has to have come with spares so that you can help people who get stuck, so to speak, without a kosher of Arabini. And it never occurred for me to bring a new, an extra set of arabas to show because normally on first day, circus people's arabas are still alive. So uh, that, that's even, there could be even questions on the Ravas, and uh, one wants to provide an extra set, and one needs all four extra mini. Like I said, that's as far as the Ravas go. Uh, and now eventually we get to the Esrog. What can go wrong with the Esrog? So assuming you checked your Esrog and it was a kosher Esrog, and uh, what's the best way to preserve the Esrog to make sure it stays kosher? So for those Esrogs which have pitoms, so, obviously, we don't want to lose the pitam. If the pitam falls, breaks, then it's going to be a possible esrog, it's called chaser. 
even though the Ikkab still chasas on the first day, but the Mishabur already brings down that a person should preferably not make a bracha on the chaser esrog, even on the other days. So what's the way to protect the pitim? Obviously, obviously don't drop the esrog. Uh, that's the, the main culprit of what causes the pitims to break. Same thing if you have that kind of like uh, net, like net that they use to store the esrog in. Make sure that when you push the esrog in now, it doesn't get the pitim doesn't get tangled in the netting because that also is going to cause it to break. Now, besides that, there's another danger with pitoms, and that is if you look at the pitom, sometimes you'll see that under the cap, which is called the shashanta, the stalk attaching the pitom to the esrog is a bright yellow, sometimes it's a brown or a black. This is already advice for choosing esrogim, but I'm going to say it now when it comes to preserving the aluminium also, and that is never buy an esrog where the stalk is also black. Maybe the tip of the pitom, which is called the shashanta, can be brown or black, but the stalk connecting to the esrog we want to see is either yellow or green. The same color as the esrog. And the reason for that is like this. The esrog is a fruit. And if the pitam is also the same color as the fruit, it means it's still alive. So it's still well connected. And that's the case. And it's on the pitam is not going to suddenly fall off. But if the pitam stalk is black, it means it's no longer alive. It's, dry, it's dyed and dried out. And shriveled up, and that's why it's gone black. If that's the case, it's not really connected anymore. It might still be sitting on the fruit, but there's nothing alive holding it there. If that's the case, even the shaking movements, which one does when one shakes aluminium, could be enough to dislodge it, and suddenly the pitam falls out because there was nothing really holding it in place any longer. So if you're looking for aluminium, always look for a pitam where the stalk of the pitam is the same healthy color as the rest of the fruit, and then if that's the case, barring unforeseen injury or accidents, the pitam should remain safely on the esrog throughout circus. The second thing which goes wrong with esrogim is when the ukits, which means the stalk falls out, that will make the esrog possible also. Now that doesn't normally happen on its own. Normally it's the people who have this brilliant idea of putting a green esrog with green apples because the gas released by the methane gas released by the apples so to speak, causes the esrog to wrap faster, which is true. If a person never tried that, they'll see that they wrap an esrog with green apples in a paper bag for two or three days, the esrog will turn yellow. But it also weakens, the same chemical effect weakens the stalk of the esrog. And therefore you might get a yellow esrog, but it might lose its stalk at the same time, which will make the esrog possible. Green's not a possible color. Better off leave staying with the green esrog, which is still kosher, and not risking turning it yellow but losing the stalk which will make it possible. The next thing which happens to esrogim is there's if you look carefully at your esrog you'll see in the light that it's a certain shine. Hashim created the esrog with a natural sort of sweet coating. It's like a waxy kind of coating which protects the fruit. And if that's the case it gives it keeps its whole, it keeps its its colour, it keeps it alive. With too much uh, friction, too much rubbing the surface of the esrog rubs off that coating. And now when you have just the, so to speak, the matte green underneath that coating, you're going to see what happens is that in a day or two it's going to turn brown. Exposure to the air, like any fruit, if you leave an apple open, for example, without its skin on, it's also going to turn brown. The same is going to happen to the esrog. And therefore we don't want to rub the esrog too much, because if we take off the coating, we're going to get big brown splotches or marks where the esrog has started to start, began spoiling. Now, it might not be possible, because brown is not a possible color in an esrog, but it definitely, definitely takes away the header of the esrog where you see these dark brown patches in various places of the esrog. So the first look at it is, 
don't try and shine your esrog by rubbing it too much. You're taking off the shine by doing that, and it's going to ruin the esrog. The second point is, when you shake, hold the esrog, and then when you shake it, don't rub it against the kosher up and down each time you shake. It's going to have the same effect of rubbing off the coating, and it's going to cause the esrog to go brown. Now, on that point, there's a third problem also, and that is, esrogim being wet isn't good for them. It also causes them to spoil much faster. At the end of the day, they're a fruit. And therefore, we want to keep the esrog dry. The problem is that in the way we set up the aruminium is when you have the bundle of the hadasim, lulav, and aravas. Let's say the hadasim on the right, the lulav in the middle, the aravas on the left, and then we have the esrog, and the second the person holding his left hand next to the aravas. So the aravas were wet, like we said, the aravas need the water. And you put the esrog next to them, the esrog is going to get wet as well. If that's the case, so one uh, is three eighths. Either a person should dry the aerobus before he does the nanum, or at least dry the kosher cup, the cold is that way it's not going to make the esrog wet. Second best option is dry the esrog after you use it every day, so it's not going to remain wet. And the third option is to hold them and mash them apart from each other when you shake them. So even though they're standing next to each other, they aren't actually touching physically. And therefore, we don't have the problem of, not of the friction of the one rubbing against the other, and not of the one making the other one wet either. Now, if you're going to learn, one has to hold that rhythm together, but it doesn't have to be that the mamish connected. As long as they're next to each other, that's already good enough. Okay, so that's as far as uh, the esrog. At the same time, make sure the esrog doesn't get pricked, because if uh, something punctures the esrog, it already takes away from the hidur, and especially if there's something missing now in the esrog, it's going to be called an esrog, which is chaser, which is missing something, and it's also not good for the esrog. Now, the next thing I'm going to tell you about preserving esrogim is a trade secret, <coughs> which I thought about a few years ago. If people knew the secret, it would completely destroy the esrog market. The price of esrogim would go down from 500 shekels to maybe 50. I, have yet, I haven't yet publicized this um, in, in the world, but I have discussed with a number of other rabbonim, and I've asked them if they can find any problem with what I'm going to tell you. No one yet has been able to tell me why there's a problem with it. And therefore, what I'm going to share with you is a secret which can save you a fortune of money buying this rig. And that is like this. Esrogim offer it. Esrogim need to be bought again every year. And therefore, forget about the price. Even the year a person finds the beautiful Mahuda Esrog it's not a scratch, not a black dot. Perfect shape, perfect color. It's a pity because he knows that after circus, that's the end of that esrog. And next year you'll have to dive and try harder to find an equally beautiful esrog. And therefore, if there would be a way to preserve the esrog, that it could be kept at the same beauty, at the same perfection, and be used again year after year, so that would be the best thing. He has his mother esrog. And there's a way to do it. And the way to do it is after circus, to wrap the esrog well, because it's airtight, and then freeze it. And why does that help? Because when the esrog is frozen, nothing's going to happen to it. It's going to remain exactly the way that it was. The problem is that when a person will take the esrog out of the freezer and allow it to thaw, allow it to defrost, then it's going to, well, it's going to get destroyed in a minute. And the reason for that is, is because all the tiny little so to speak, sacks of juice which are inside the middle of the asterisk, it's like a lemon in that way. When they freeze and then defrost, they're going to explode. 
and therefore serving a high Isra is going to look squish like a sponge, which is possible. And therefore we can't freeze and defrost this regim, it doesn't work. We have a better Eitzah. And the Eitzah will be keep the Eshrik frozen. Because as long as it's still frozen, it still looks the same way it looked before. And uh, nothing's going to happen to it as long as it doesn't defrost. And therefore we have the Eitzah of every day of Sukkot, taking the Eshrik out to freeze it just before Hadal, and making sure to put it back in the freezer afterwards, it will retain its perfect shape. And why am I saying this? Because there's no in Allah that it says that it's possible to use a frozen Eshrik. Okay, it's true that uh, if you do long Nanoim or long Hanel, it might be frost in the middle and then you've lost your Esrog as well. But as long as the Esrog is still in its perfect, pristine condition, it will still be Mahoda. The fact that it's frozen isn't a Chisar. Okay, so that's just as far as preserving and looking after Esrog and go. Now let's talk about another interesting question which most people never thought about. And that is when a person's coming to take the Arab medium. So, we know that when ties the Hadassim and Ayrovas to the Lulu, they're meant to be taken as no good as a bundle, and takes the Esrog separately. What happens if a person would make a holder which would have a, like a connection point for the Esrog as part of the bundle also? The person can say it's possible. In other words, the three minim are meant to be bound together, the Esrog is meant to be separate. One's not meant to have all four together. The person even goes so far as to say that we know that we hold in our right hand, the Esrog, the Hadassim and the Ravas, and the Esrog in the left hand. Is that just because it's easier? What happens if a person has a small set of minimum or a very large, so to speak, ability, like very large, long fingers, very big hands? Is it mutter to hold all four minimum in the same hand? They're not connected, they're just being held together in one hand. There's a lot about this, but they definitely post to say it's also. It's meant to be held in two different hands and have put next to each other not held in one hand. Now most people don't have a problem with that when it comes to shaking the little of the first time or during Hadal. Naturally people hold the Esrog in the one hand and the little in the other. But where this is very Nagaya is when it comes to the Hashanahs. Because Hashanahs you don't have the benefit of a table or a stand in front of you to hold your sitter. And if that's the case, what most people tend to do is hold the Esrog as well as the little of in one hand and the sitter in the other hand. And according to a lot of person that's a problem. You're not meant to hold all that remember in one hand. If that's the case, you have one of three options. Either you can hold the Esrog in one hand, the other in the other hand, and somehow rest your sitter on your arms, that way you can read what you're saying as you go along. You could memorize Hashanah's Bahat. Or, what I've seen is little uh, Hashanah cards with like a clip. You could clip it onto something and then read it without having to hold it in your hands. I don't know if people clip it onto, maybe they have a clip onto their sleeve, or maybe they jack with the person in front of them. Whatever it's going to be, but that way you, you have your hands free to hold the minimum. Which is important because, like I said, the Alphas can hold, but by taking all the minimum in one hand, the person's not yet. Right. Also, we find a very interesting story in the Rikanti, which tells us now the Halacha. The Rikanti was the one of the Rishon, the Balayataisus, who was both a Balalach as well as a Bal Kabbalah. And the Rikanti tells a story of the one circus where he hosted a guest, another one of the Balayatosis. And the first night circus, he had a dream that his guest was writing Hashem's name, Yud K Vav K. And the way he wrote it was he wrote the Yud, the K, and the Vav. And then he made a big gap and he wrote the Hay somewhere else, the final Hay. And the recount in his dream told his guest, You can't do that. You have to write Shem Hashem all connected to each other. You can't write three letters here and one letter somewhere else. You're separating in the middle of Shem Hashem. 
Merkanti woke up, he didn't understand what, why he had the stream orders meant to mean. He writes in his safe until he went to show with his guest. And when it came to shaking the lulavs, the guest was holding the lulav in the one hand, the esrog in the other hand, but he's holding them apart from each other. And the case is then he understood, because the Midrash teaches us that the Yod of Shem Hashem is connected to three Adasim. The first hay is connected to the Tzairavas. The Vav is connected to the Lulav. And the second hay is connected to the Esrog. And then he saw when his guest was holding the Lulav, the Adasim, the Ravas, apart from the Esrog, so he was holding the Yod K Vav apart from the other hay. And to Mechab, Shem Hashem, one has not put them next to each other. Like we said, that's why our men have to be held together. They have to actually rubbing each other, have dafka, we can't, it's not that they in close proximity to each other. The question is the person that needs his fingers, so to speak, as a block, as a barrier between the Esrog and Nairovas, they have some different opinions about that. So that's why the Arab minimum meant to be held in two hands, close together, not a five right from each other, and not all in one hand. Right. The Mashamas, this is in the midst of Arab minimum, which means if a person finishes Arab minimum, or else he's trying to get some, he has to open the door. So he's holding all four, a minimum in one hand. So he can use the other one to open the door or to turn the page of the siddha. But when he's actually using the, doing the mitzvah of either shaking or the hashinus, he's holding in two hands, that's okay. Now there's a promise to kind of mitzvah when he needs two hands. Not that it's awesome to hold all four, minimum in one hand. Okay, so that's why I mean are meant to be held. Now, a point which most will have a thought about. Is there an order that the I mean are meant to be picked up? doesn't make a difference which one you pick up first or another way around. Once you finish taking the aluminium, doesn't make a difference which one you put down first. So naturally all of us pick up the lula first because we need two hands to take it as hold or whatever it is and after to pick up the airstroke. It's interesting. The Morgan of Rome writes that that's the wrong way to do it. The Morgan of Rome learns from the order of the Pasuk. And the, the Pasuk says first, creates Hadar, which means the airstroke, and afterwards the Kapoor which is the lula. And therefore the Magna of Rome holds that one should first pick up the Esrog and afterwards pick up the Lulav. When it comes to putting that Rabinim down, they said you should do it in the reverse order. You should first put down the Lulav and then put down the Esrog. Now, you might be hearing this and feel that's surprising because small people do. And the reason for that is most Poskim don't agree with the Magna of Rome, even though that's all of the Apostle, that's not the way you pick it up. And even the Magna of the Shulchanarach, because the Shulchanarach talks about how to hold the Rabinim when it comes to making the Bracha. So he holds, the person should hold the Lulav in his one hand, and then take the Esrog and turn it upside down in the other hand, so that he hasn't yet been Yetzir, the Mitzvah, until he's made the Bracha. And we're holding it upside down, it's not the right way around, he hasn't been Yetzir the Mitzvah yet. So it's also the clear Mashallah Zashachonarach, that one took the Esrog after the Lulav, and in the most, that's the conclusion of most Poskim, which should first pick up the Lulav in his right hand, it's three quarters of the Mitzvah, it's three of the four minim, and only afterwards pick up the Esrog in his left hand, but then according to them, when one puts it down, you do it in the same order, in reverse, which means first put down the esrog, and then afterwards put down the lulav. Now regarding that halacha, that if a person would pick up all the abominium before he's made the bracha, he's already been yetzer, and if that's the case, he can't make the bracha anymore. And that's what the Shekhar had the idea of holding the esrog upside down. Um, the obvious difficulty with that is that it's, a person has to maneuver the esrog into the right position, just using that same hand, because the other hand is already holding the lulav. And therefore, the three other options how a person can be Mikhaim Abraminim without that problem. The first and the simplest Aitzah is the Aitzah which is brought down in Amav Poiskim Bechaznish Haldak Veslamaisa. And that is the person should have an intention when he picks up the Esrog, I only want to do the mitzvah after I've made the bracha. 
because when it comes to mitzvahs, the person isn't forced to do a mitzvah. And if a person's dad says, I only want to make the mitzvah later, he's only making the mitzvah later. And if that's the case, a person can pick up the esrog the normal way, make the bracha, and now he might now want to make the mitzvah, and now he's making the mitzvah by holding the arba minute. That's the one option. What Shlomo Zaman Arbach used to do was he used to leave the esrog in front of him on the table with his hand on it, make the bracha and pick it up. Because just touching the arba minute isn't enough to be here, it has to be until it needs to be taken. And if he hasn't, he wasn't holding it, he was just lying down on the table. And when he made the bracha, he picked it up, drank it around, and now he's been time the mitzvah of holding it, uh, by holding it the right way. And until it was just lying down, it wasn't yet a way to make the mitzvah. That's the second option. Um, the third option, which is uh, the of turning it around, um, which like sometimes is a bit difficult to stroke because you have to maneuver it into a different position in your hand, or if you the other many more so. Your person's holding the bundles a little upside down, so then, also, is not the idea, because also not the right, it's not the right way around. And therefore, if a person will take the little upside down, and you make the bracha and turn it around, then you can make it in the middle like that. Sometimes that's easier, surprisingly enough, because you don't have to turn the position of your hand, you just have to rotate your wrist, to turn it the right way around. Anyway, either of these three things work. But just a last one, and that is, if a person holding the middle upside down, is not the idea. So first, Mr. Burr points out, when it comes to Adasim, a person has to make sure that all his adasim are facing the same direction. Because sometimes in the bundle, uh, one of the adasim is upside down, and because of all the leaves, the person doesn't notice that. Uh, so there's two adasim the right way around, and one adasim the wrong way around, and he's not going to be hated because that adasim is, is really sitting on his head. And the other point is, when a person shakes, there are many of us will talk about this separately, and he points them down to shake down, so most person can hold, you shouldn't turn them around and like face them to the floor, you should just lower them, Still facing upright, so that they don't lose their zen of being uh, standing the way that they meant to stand. Okay, one more Allah to talk about, and that is the din of tying the Abraminim together. So, the Gemara discusses is the midst of tying the Abraminim a chiyuv? It has to be an ego, it has to be a bundle, otherwise, you're not Yaitse, or is it just a hider? Review all this a chiyuv, Hamal's only a hider, and that's how we pass on that it's a hider midst of times together, it's not a chiyuv. The difference is, number one, is a person allowed to connect them on Yom Tif. If it would be something which without that is possible, then, like we said previously, making something kosher on Yom Tif from something which is possible is asr. If it's just a header, one could do it on Yom Tif. Similarly, it doesn't have to use uh, something which is made out of one of the four species as the means to tie them together, or not. Because if you have to tie them together, then and then you'd be using a different min, then it would be like a baltosif using a fifth min, which is a ma'akiv in your the string or the rubber band or the elastic using hold, holding together. Whereas if it's only a header, then it's not ma'akiv because it becomes bottled to the aluminium, it doesn't count as a separate min. And so the Shulchan Narav Paskins, that what's used to hold the aluminium together isn't a, isn't a ma'akiv, and therefore even if some, somebody would use something which is not made of the aluminium, string or elastic, like we said, it'd still be kosher. Nevertheless, a person can bring down that the minag is to use something which comes from the aluminium as the way to tie it together. Now, one could use another rubber, an extra rubber, it's, it's soft and it's supple, and one could bend it around and make a knot with it. But what's become more commonly used is one of the leaves of the lulav, which is turned into a kind of a, like a ring and tightened, and that also works as a way to hold the minim together. Is one allowed to take a leaf of his own lulav in order to tie it? The answer is yes. It's definitely before he made the bracha on it, there's no condition to the love before it's been used for a mitzvah, so for sure 
strip a leaf of the, a leaf of the salary is needed to make into the rings. The halfway can hold that even after he's made a bracha, he can still put a leaf of the leaf to use as a, a ring for his own mitzvah because it's still being used as a part of the mitzvah. Right. Now, it's much more so the Gemara was that the way to tie them together was to make a proper knot, which is uh, some which one would not be done yamzif because it's a double knot, and with the issue of kosher of tying. And therefore, when, if a person didn't tie them together before yamzif, the way to yamzif is either to make a bow, which is like what a shoelace, is a, something a person is allowed to do on yamzif, or alternatively, alternatively, where we would have to wrap it around itself in a way which is not called sudar knot either. Which what the Shachnarach and the Ramah suggest those respectively those two ideas. Today with the rings we have, it's normally just a, like tied around itself. It's not really a double knot unless the person will make a knot out of the ring afterwards. But again, as long as it's tied and securely tied, that would work as a as a way to tie the four the three million together. Now the koshikal also works really to connect the million together because once all the three million we put into the holders, they're held together by the holder. Nevertheless, it's still not considered tied, it's just held together. And therefore, one should also tie a ring around the three minim, around the koshikal, which holds them all together. It's brought down up the Yikabala that a person should tie three times the, the three, so to speak, bands around the lulav. There's a discussion that means three bands besides the one at the bottom, which is holding the minim together, which means three rings with the lulav itself. But it means three times including the one at the bottom. And if that's the case, it only needs two more in the lulav itself. It's different from Minhagim. Either way around, if a person is tying the lulav, he shouldn't tie it so high that it's, it holds the leaves together in a way that they can't rustle. It's brought as you ran the that when a person shakes the lulav, the leaves at the top should rustle a little bit. So a person needs it a little bit open to make sure that, it doesn't have, that they can still move around. Now, what's the point of tying the lulav itself? Uh, it's, it's one min on its own anyway. So besides, the Kabbalim have their reasons for doing that, like we said before. There was a bit of a practical reason as well. And that is the lulav is really a very young schach branch. And when they're still small, the leaves all are perfectly lying on top of each other. But as this matures and each of those leaves get thicker and harder, they tend to open up and spread out until they become a palm branch. And the mission talks about this, the fact that when they begin to spread, at what stage they become possible that they're no longer a lulav. Now, once again, Anulav and Baruch Hashem are young and fresh, and we don't have this problem. People had to, to pick Lulav much earlier on, or to keep Lulav for much later, whatever it was, but it was harder to get. There was a Shaila of the Lulav starting to open up already, and that's the case, they had to tie it to hold it closed to make sure the leaves stay together. And again, the Mishnah gives us that already. That a Lulav which is Nifra, which starts separating the Yogdenim and the Mala, you should tie it together to make sure the leaves stay together and they retain the, the appearance of a Lulav. Which is the other reason to tie the Abram together. The Rach is that when a person ties the Abram together, the Hadassim should be a little bit higher than the Ravas, either because there's more of a Hadar in them, or because they, they're three of them as opposed to two of the Ravas, or because they brought earlier in the Pasuk than the Ravas, or because the Gans is an interesting idea, and that is in the Midrash, the Hadassim refer to a person's eyes and the Ravas to his mouth, and the eyes are above the mouth, and therefore the Hadassim should be a little bit higher than the Ravas. Now, what happens if a person buys long aravas and therefore they come higher than the hadasim? So there's no problem. You can just lower, the, pull them lower down. You know, they don't have to be shorter than the hadas, they have to be lower than the hadas. So the fact that the, as part of the stick of the arava, the, the stem of the arava, is much lower than the, the, the hadas is fine. 
as long as the top points of Hadas is higher than the Arava. Again, as a Hashivas, Hadas is put on the right, Arava is on the left, uh, when a person holds the Arava Now, the question is, what's the deal of a left-handed person? Which hand should he hold the Arava So the Shachamarach says that he should be the same as everybody else, which means the Lulav in the right, which is everyone's right, and the Esrach on the left, which is everyone's left. The Ramah says, not like that. He says, the Minah gives the left-handed person, holds the Lulav in his left hand, and the, the Esrach in his right hand. And what we call left-handed, right-handed, for Aramenim is not the same as for Tfilin. For Tfilin, it's totally on the din of Ksavtim, which means which hand the person writes with. Whereas when it comes to Aramenim, it depends which is his stronger hand. And therefore, even if a person would write with his left hand, if his right hand is his stronger hand, you would hold the Lulav in his right hand. If a person's left hand is his stronger hand, then you have to hold the Lulav in his left hand. So again, the Sheikh Nalach says if a person always uses his right hand, there are more Paskans that a left-handed person should hold the lulav in his left. And now we get to an interesting question, and that is, for the person holding the lulav in his left hand, and the esrog in his right hand, what should we do with Adasim and Aravas? In other words, should the Adasim still remain on the right and Aravas on the left, or should he reverse the order as well, that the Aravas should be next to the esrog? The Mishnah brings two opinions in this, it's Machlagos between the Prima Godim and the Bukhari Yaakov, he doesn't clearly give a hachra between them. It seems that the difference between Hagim, I've seen posts have brought down that a person should reverse the order, and I've seen posts have said that a person should leave the order the same way. Well, why this is something to bear in mind is that most men, uh, after davening, will take the Arabinim home to allow their wives' ability to shake and be able to submit to Arabinim. Now, if the one, either one of them is right-handed and the other one is left-handed, so then this will be a shayla, because if you're going to keep the Hadas and the Rabbis in the same place, then that's okay. The left-handed person can just take in the left hand and it'll be it's like that. But, according to last post, the order needs to be reversed. And therefore, for the left-handed person, the rubber should be on the right, next to the asteroid, so the person has to remember to turn it around each time so that the person who's left-handed can also be it. Um, the way to do this, by the way, is to turn the left turn the middle around. You don't undo everything, it's just the left in the middle, just turn it the other way around, and now you made it, it'll come out at the... Position of the Aravas and the Lulav and the S and the Hadas and the Lulav have changed around. Okay, so that's the denim of how to hold the Aravimim, which order to pick them up, how to tie them together. And uh, the Halakh is a person's Makayim, the Mitzvah, just by picking the Aravimim up. The din of shaking them is uh, Din de Rabbanan, even though the original Takon de Shaykh was in Halal. Nevertheless, was by picking them up, went be yet, not just by picking them up, but to shake them also after making the bracha, even before halal, to be yet like that. It's brought from the B'shem Larizal that a person should take the Arabimim in the sukkah. Obviously, if a person has an opportunity, it's much better if the shul has an attached sukkah. And it gives enough time before halal, everyone can go out and make the bracha in the sukkah. And Arabimim will come back into da- to Daven, that's the best. If that's not an option, or the shul doesn't have a sukkah, whatever the case may be, so there's a discussion in the post game if a person should rather take the Arabi Minim with in, uh, make a bracha, so to speak, even though it's not in a sukkah, or a person should take the Arabi Minim before Shachris in the sukkah, and, uh, even though he has not davened, and normally we say davening comes first because it's more tadir, it's more common, but the maila of uh, da- of making the bracha of the Arabi in the sukkah will outweigh that and therefore will come first. It's a discussion in the post game Obviously, it's only applies to the person who's davening later. If a person's davening next, so then he's not able to take the Arabimim before the Arabimim because the first time he can take the Arabimim is at nights, in which case he's going to have to take the Arabimim afterwards.
And like we said, if that's the case, there's a mile that's attacked every minute of sukkah. The only thing to bear in mind, this is where we started from, is that rules of sukkahs tend to be lower than rules of houses. And therefore, when a person shaking lulav, to be doubly careful not to drive the lulav into the sukkah or into the schach, because that can passel the lulav. One last halacha, when it comes to binding the minute together, so we said that the mile in using a min, which is from the lulav itself, um, is it mutter to glue the two ends together to hold them down? That's for sure mutter. It's considered bottle, and therefore there wouldn't be a problem using glue or staple or anything else to hold the rings in place to each other. Just to finish with one final last point, even though Baal Mitzvah has an Indian of Hidur, there's an Indian of making the Mitzvah more beautiful, we find a special emphasis on this by the Abraminim. The Torah itself is called the Priyat's Hadar, and here we find a special Indian in doing the Mitzvah in this beautiful way. One of the reasons for this is because it came out to our first special mitzvah after Yom Kippur. Um, Yom Kippur, we kind of have an opportunity to begin again. We've hopefully done a proper job and shown Hashem that we want to do a better job next year. And uh, opportunity is the mitzvah of Sukkot. And therefore, when the, one of the first mitzvahs we have, choosing our remaining, which we do right after Yom Kippur, so you want to show Hashem we're going the extra mile, we want to do the extra to make sure it's a beautiful mitzvah. And if we're here, we go, the, go out of our way to make to be more mahader and make sure that our room are more beautiful to show that when we do an opportunity to do mitzvahs, we do them in the best possible way. Okay, what we discussed today is the, let's call it the user's guide to the Arbuminim, the myth, the dealing of how to shake and when to shake, as a separate halachas, but as we'll discuss that in a different year. Good night.